Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. listening to Radio Mirror. This is, as I was saying, with Father Ewan Mali. Hello there, Father Ewan. Hello. How are you? Very good. And um, today we've, we've gone through the Psalms in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, we've moved on to the wisdom literature. And today I understand we're going to be looking at chapter three of the Book of Wisdom. Yes, yeah, mostly chapter three, I think. Maybe a bit of chapter four. We'll see how I go. But uh... They're very connected chapters, very similar. Wonderful. Well, I look forward to it. I'm not going to take any more of your time. You go for it. Okay. Well, I'll start with a prayer. Book of Wisdom, we pray for wisdom. We pray for... Wisdom is not just a, a, what shall we say, a quality in our life. Not for Christians, wisdom is in fact what God is. The search for God is a search for wisdom. And in finding God, we find wisdom. I think that's the theme of the great book of wisdom and also of wisdom in the New Testament. I'd also like to pray for journalists, especially, who are supposed to be servants of the truth and wisdom, because today we'll be burying Paddy McGarvey, an old Irish journalist, retired, died in his 90s. He had many thoughts and hopes in his journalistic career, but we pray that uh, he may rest in peace and find wisdom, and we pray for all journalists that they serve the truth, that the truth might serve them. So I'll move on to book three of wisdom. Now, as I've been saying, this is part of the Greek Bible of the Old Testament, Greek translation, or more likely written in Greek, and as such not accepted by all Christians, but Orthodox and Catholics accept some of the Greek books of the Old Testament as scripture. However, it's a very familiar passage we're going to be hearing, at least in the translation of the Jerusalem Bible, because It's a passage which is very often used in funerals. I'll be reading from what's mostly the New Revised Standard Version, although I have changed it a little bit for my own purposes, but I won't say where. But more or less, I think it's accurate. But I'll read a little bit, and I'm sure you'd recognise from this the funeral reading if you ever heard this in the funeral. Wisdom chapter 3, verse 1. But the souls of the righteous are in the hands of God, and torment will not touch them. The eyes of the foolish seem to have died, and their departure was reckoned as a disaster. They're going from us to be their destruction, but they are in peace. Although in the sight of others they were punished, their hope is full of immortality. Having been disciplined, 
I might say instructed here, a little, they will receive great good because God tested them and found them worthy of himself. Like gold in the furnace, he tried them. Like a sacrificial burnt offering, he accepted them. So, as I say, many people might recognise that passage from Catholic funerals. It's a very common reading. But it's not really designed for funeral reading. It's part of a larger teaching which is about wisdom itself. And the great theme of the Book of Wisdom is that wisdom is very much bound up with what he calls immortality. And deathness might be a more literal translation, absence of death. And in fact, that's quite a late idea in the Old Testament. It always surprises people who study the Old Testament how little seems to be about life after death to the extent that some people doubt that they believed in it. I think that's misleading. I think they didn't believe that the, the state of the dead was a good state. They didn't believe that it was the full state of life, but that's not the same as believing you cease to exist. No one quite says that either. But there is a great emphasis on the success in this life, but not, not a personal success as such, not the individual, but rather Israel as a whole. And Israel has to flourish to show that they are the people of God. And they have to flourish in quite earthly terms, so the emphasis is on that life. But gradually Israel, in his wisdom, the wisdom of God, discovers that there has to be more to the covenant with God and simply doing well in this life. And they discover that partly through their own failure, the destruction of the ten tribes of Israel by the Assyrian Empire, and then finally the destruction of Jerusalem and Judea by the Babylonian Empire. And then the return, the return to the promised land, but it's a land that's now occupied by various foreign powers and will continue to be occupied by various foreign powers right up to the time of Christ. So they seek something more. Clearly it's not about prosperity in this life, or not just about prosperity. They seek something beyond this world. And I think it's then not so much a discovery of life after death as an accentuation of the importance of life after death for this life. Not because this life then becomes less important, but it's in this life we choose what we are to be. This is the beginning of what to Christians seems fundamental, it's what people always assume Christianity, and indeed Judaism, Islam, is about. And in fact, all the beliefs that we can call religions, although we should all remember that we're applying uh, our own Western terms to the rest of the world, but there are things that more or less we might describe as religions, like Hinduism and Buddhism, which is not necessarily their term, but they are a great deal to do about the thought of what is to come after death. The Book of Wisdom is very much about immortality, life after death in that sense, but also about the fact that the way to that life is what it calls wisdom. And as such, you can see why we would use this passage for funerals. Souls of righteous in the hands of God and torment will not touch them. And here it's a dialogue between earthly prosperity and the true prosperity of being with God, the true joy which is being with God. 
Remember how the Book of Wisdom began, began very first verse, with saying, and we see, love justice, you are the judges of the earth, think of the Lord in goodness and seek him in simplicity of heart. And please be found with those that tempt him not, that's, that's an old translation, and, we, and do not put him to test, revealing himself to those who do not mistrust him. And that starts off, you might think, just about God, but very rapidly it says that wisdom is about immortality. Wisdom is about being alive beyond death, but also being alive in this world, more alive. When last time I was speaking, I went on to verse 2, and verse 2, sorry, chapter 2. Chapter 2 is then says, well, what happens if you don't believe in this life, you don't believe that this, this life has something beyond itself? And so one thing that can happen is that you start to feel offended by those who do believe, those who do try and live a good life. And so chapter 2 seems to be almost a prophecy about Christ because it's about the just person being attacked. Let us test him, let us see what his righteousness is supposed to be about. So chapter 2 Verses 19 to 20, let us test him with insult and torture so we find out how gentle is and make that trial of his forbearance. Let us condemn him to shameful death. According to what he says, he will be protected. So, wisdom, of course, the writer who's in the persona of Solomon, it's not by Solomon, but he obviously gives the impression it's what Solomon might say. The response to this was saying, well, the souls of the righteous are in the hands of God. No torment will ever touch them. And what he's saying then is, well, in a way, you're right, of course. Being righteous, being good, being justice in this earth doesn't protect you from persecution. Far from it. It may bring about just that. It may cause you to become a, a focus of anger and hatred. Even if you try to avoid it, even if you try to keep a quiet life, sometimes people just can't tolerate something which threatens them. Book doesn't say, though I think the thought should be in our minds that in fact those who behave in that way, who hate righteousness, may do that because they have a suspicion that what they're seeking, what the other person's seeking, is actually true. Some people have said, Alex Vidler, who's a famous scripture scholar, typically said that St. Paul's Hatred of Christianity may be in a certain unconscious suspicion that it was true. His conversion was bringing out in himself what he really thought. Why was he so concerned to persecute Christians? Because perhaps they're right. But if they're right, then everything Paul thought he'd live for was going to be upturned because he thought he had righteousness in the Torah, in his learning. He thought that the Messiah had to be someone someone beyond his life. He had to accept that not only was he wrong, but he had done great evil, thinking he was right. And in that sense, you might say the Book of Wisdom is a prophecy of Paul, as well as Christ. Prophecy of the righteous, who think they're righteous in a different way. But wisdom 
thinks that the biggest problem is not believing in this life after death, not believing in the life we're called to. I should say the life we're called to for the Book of Wisdom is not anything but life with God. Never people discuss with me you know, survival of the soul, life after death. I always find out to say, but you can't have this separate from the idea of God. To be alive is to be with God. That's a Christian contention. It's not a case of an abstract immortal life. It's not a case of simply saying the soul's immaterial, therefore it doesn't cease to be with the destruction of the body. It's always saying that life after death is life with God. No other kind of life except life with God. And the question is, will we have that life with God or will we reject that life with God? We still exist, but we're existing in a way that is actually at war with our own life. God is God. It's God's life. God makes life. God himself is perfect life and he shares with us something of that perfection. Here I'm speaking of Christian thoughts, but although it's not in the Book of Wisdom, it's certainly implicit, and it's certainly the Book of Wisdom is a book which has inspired these thoughts. And in Christ we see the fullness of those thoughts. Before the moment, we'll concentrate on what wisdom is saying. And also I want to ask another question, which I'll ask after the music break, which is a question about some of the Catholic beliefs, like praying for the dead in purgatory. Some people who actually accept the Book of Wisdom and Scripture still are quite happy to use chapter 3 to say, well, here there's no idea of purgatory, there's no idea of uh, being brought to perfection through a process which is painful. So I want to respond to that claim. Maybe do that after we have some music. That sounds fascinating. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, we're going to listen to a piece by Bethel Music called Shepherd. And after that, we'll come back to hear what Father Ewan has to say on that topic. listening to Radio Maria and we have Father Ewan Marley who's busy taking us through the uh, book of wisdom. I had a question for you before I, I let you carry on Father Ewan. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And that is regarding uh, good scripture commentary. Um, I'm currently reading yeah. through the Bible and I find myself, especially in the Old Testament, uh, 
finding it difficult to sometimes make head or tail of a book like mm. Jeremiah or um, Isaiah. And what would you recommend for somebody who's who's trying to read through these Old Testament oh, books? Dear. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Oh, still you got um, you get like very scholarly translate uh, com- oh, international critical commentaries if you want absolutely everything MD could think about the Bible at all, but that's very academic. Um, so in that sense, not good. Um, there's, of course, the Jerome commentaries, which were produced in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It was a Catholic thing. But, um, but they're huge. I've seen that book. It's, yeah, it's massive. Well, the book's huge, the, the Bible's huge. Not really. <laughs> the individual commentaries are a bit smaller. Right. Um, you can get it in a multi-volume edition. Um, I don't think you can simply say older commentaries are worse than better commentaries, but they work in different ways. Mm-hmm. And the Catholic Church particularly was very inhibited in the late 19th century, early 20th century by various curia documents, which didn't allow them a lot of scope. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, the other problem with commentaries is they might be very intelligent, but perhaps not very interesting, mm. you know, it was a problem with our fellow Dominicans when they're young is that they insist in quoting from commentaries which are academically interesting, but really you come to church, you want something a bit more inspiring. Mm. Um, so they're older commentaries which are more interesting. Sometimes uh, the, the older things can be comical, but it's, it's certainly interesting that the ancient fathers' commentaries, although they take the Bible quite literally, they're not interested in the literal translation or meanings of Bible. They're interested in the spiritual meanings. Yeah. Perhaps to excess, you know, the great commentator, Oregon, uh, decided since fire always means the Holy Spirit, which kind of, as you know, sometimes fire just means fire. Yeah. Um, but you'd say a building went in fire, it obviously doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's grabbing the building. But uh, so in that sense, it's difficult to say exactly. Jerome is the simplest, most accessible, but it's an older translate, older commentary now. Um, I think the new revised standard version is probably the best English translation, and you can get editions with notes, which is helpful. Okay, and that's going to be used in the liturgy. Well, they're planning to. No, the, I think it's English standard version they're planning to, but it hasn't quite happened. Oh right, sorry, no, no, no yeah, perfect yeah. translation. No, perfect translations are contradiction uh, but you know some <laughs> translations are better i think some are awful there's a translation of the parable of the talents and it says dollars yeah <laughs> it gave one ten thousand dollars another five thousand dollars you think well that's <laughs> you know, yeah. apart from obviously wrong it just makes you think that perhaps somebody doesn't realize there's a world outside the united states you know <laughs> so yeah. um but i think um the, the New Revised Standard Version is possibly the most scholarly. Mm. Uh, the Revised Standard Version, which is older, there was a Catholic version, which had one advantage that when the Hebrew was puzzling, it gave you the Greek. Right. And it told you, and I wrote, this is from the Greek translation, because sometimes the Greek makes sense when the Hebrew word is a bit baffling. Mm-hmm. All sorts of problems there, but... Um, See, not not a simple answer, I'm afraid, but uh, sure. it's better to do a short commentary and try and read the thing through before you go into bigger commentaries. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, okay. So, back to chapter three. Mm-hmm. Now, I asked this question, you know, what does it say about things like purgatory? 
that it takes me a bit away from what the book is really trying to say about two things. One is it, it is, after all, before the time of Christ. And Christ's death and resurrection makes a difference. It creates heaven. This book is just saying that the souls of the righteous are not in trouble because they die young. Nor is it saying that therefore they cannot be righteous because if they'd been righteous people, God would have given them a long life. That's all it's saying. It's saying, yes, there is life after death and that's what matters. But we can't judge the dead by saying that they died young, which is a problem. I mean, you've got many saints in the Christian tradition who die young, many young saints. In the Dominican order, we create, put great emphasis on Blessed Giorgio Frassati, who died at 24, who lived a, a good life. There's Gabriel Pazenti, young passionist, who died young. St. Aloysius, the Jesuit scholar, who died young, was never ordained, you know. the. So there are young saints are a sign that you can become a saint at any time of your life. Conversely, you'll find another view which still survives that St. Athanasius, for instance, great, puts great emphasis on the, his great hero, Antony the Great, who was a hermit in fourth century Egypt, lived in the desert. And he said, his holiness kept him very healthy. And he, he says rather bizarrely, in his 90s, he still had his own teeth, which doesn't sound like a great sign of sanctity to me, but his point is that the presence of the spirit kept him alive even though he lived his very austere life. And, you know, there's a sense in that too, that, you know, we pray for health and healing, and it's it's good to be healthy as well as holy. And we shouldn't overbalance the idea that you can be young in, when you're near death or sickly and turn sickliness into a sign of holiness. That's overbalancing. What we have to say is that really, either way, God is with us and it's holiness that matters. That's all the, the wisdom is saying. doesn't have room for purgatory, but, you know, purgatory itself is easily misunderstood. There's not three destinations, heaven, hell and purgatory. There's not three alternatives. There is heaven and we're called to heaven. If we refuse, well, God will, might accept a refusal. On the way to heaven, we may have to be transformed, and that transformation may involve pain. It may involve being aware of the meaning of our sins. It may involve, too, the need for prayers here on earth from those who are alive. And that's a great privilege, but also a great responsibility for those who are alive. But purgatory is not an alternative to heaven. Purgatory is just the road to heaven. And as such, purgatory isn't one of the three options. There is actually only one option to which, which is heaven, and we either accept that or we don't. You either get there or you don't. One destination, one meaning for our life. And some of you might say, well, doesn't it say in the book of wisdom, the souls of the righteous are in the hands of God and torment will not touch them? Now, true, some views of purgatory describe it as torment or testing or hurting and the Greek word can mean even torture in the sense of trying to extract information, which clearly isn't purgatory. But it can also mean the sort of difficulties in life to make us stronger. And that might have something to do with purgatory, but it really is pushing 
biblical wisdom too far to suggest that even though heaven hasn't really begun to the resurrection of Christ, the human heaven that is the heaven of human beings, that somehow he can both predict that and the way to it and be discussing that. He's looking at his own time and those who say justice can't mean much because some just people die young. So I think, you know, it's not really about purgatory, it's not about heaven as such either, because the real heaven is a heaven that Christ creates by resurrection. But you have to rise from the dead, there has to be something that rises from the dead. That's what we mean by the survival of the soul. If the soul ceased to exist, then the end of time, what we would have wouldn't be resurrection as such. It would be replacement by another person. God keeps us alive, even outside the body. And gives us joy. We believe that. We believe that we are righteous and faithful and hopeful. So I'll read a little bit more of chapter 3 then. Um, in the sight of others they were punished, but their hope is full of immortality. Having been disciplined a little, that's a new revised standard version, it could say instructed, using a word which comes up in the book of wisdom, paidua, which means, paidea rather, which means learning. But certainly, the St. Paul, I think, would think of teaching as a, often involving a certain amount of suffering. So it's not just a case of studying books, it's learning from life, which is a much harder lesson. So having been disciplined and instructed a little, they will receive great good because God tested them and found them worthy of himself. Like gold in the furnace, he tried them, and like a sacrificial burnt offering, he accepted them. That's, a, that's an amazing verse here to see for the first time sacrifice as an image of human life. You know, the sacrifice of animals is a strange practice, but it's what we do, it's how we do it. And and yet, there's a new meaning in sacrifice, the meaning that the fact we've tended to find in Christianity, sacrifice isn't to do with burnt offerings of animals, it's to do with ourself becoming a sort of oblation. Having all the unrealities of our life burnt away so that what's left is what is true. Like gold in the furnace, he, trusted, he tested them. And... There's a very similar line to that in the first letter of St. Peter. We even refer to this. You can find it. Peter, 1 Peter, first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 7. So that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious in gold, that though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Um. There he just simply takes an analogy of gold, but it's interesting, it's very similar to wisdom. Of course, Peter knows something, or the writer of Peter knows something that the writer of the Book of Wisdom doesn't know. He knows that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And he's waiting the revelation of Christ. So the suffering no longer is simply, as wisdom says, unimportant and not evidence for God's judgment and God's concern with people, but now the suffering itself is a sign that Christ is with us. The genius of faith may be tested, just like gold, but we're waiting for Jesus Christ to be revealed. 
So once again, another example of the danger of forgetting when a book is written. The book of wisdom is not written in the time of Christ, even though it is inspired scripture. It has to work with what is revealed at that time. But we are coming close to Christ. We are coming close to the, the incarnation. We are nearer now to that moment. So, the book of wisdom, in the time of their visitation, they will shine forth and will run like sparks through the stubble. Curious image, that, to the idea of a forest fire, you know, a fire in the dry grass, which is usually a horrendous thing, but the idea there is just of, you won't be able to hold them back, the good, you know, the good cannot be constrained forever. Goodness itself is expansionist, it reaches out. And it uses an image then that might seem rather unhealthy. They will govern nations and rule over peoples, and the Lord will reign over them forever. Well, I think that's an image. Of course, it's written the persona of Solomon, who's a king, but and the book does begin, love righteous you, you governors of the earth. But he's really saying, you know, that goodness is the true rule of life. A good teacher is better than those who simply hold political power. And at the resurrection, too, we do use the image of sitting on thrones. The apostles sit on the 12 thrones and the, we talk of a sort of rule in earth, but it's a rule in Christ. So you can also reverse that. The book of Apocalypse has the kings throwing down their crowns because Christ is the true king. So an image, an image of the way that in this life we might aspire to power, but really we should seek the true power in the life to come. So those who trust in him will understand truth and the faithful will abide with him in love because grace and mercy upon his holy ones and he watches over his elect. Great power. But as I say, it's a power which is the presence of God. We're with God in life. And to understand life after death without understanding that presence of God and for as Christians, the presence of Christ himself is to be unable to understand what life after death really is. So, stop for another music break and a few thoughts. Yes, um, thank you, Father Ewan. This next piece of music that we're going to listen to is by Wren Collective, and it's called Simplicity. Radio Maria, and um, 
we're about to go th- to the final stretch of uh, today's episode with Father Ewan. Um, so I'm going to hand over to you again, Father Ewan. Okay, well, very short final stretch. We're running out of time. So chapter three is basically saying that, you know, you can't judge success in this life by length of life. Mind it is always a sense that the, the old idea is that, you know, Israel prospers. And it prospers of the people. This is why he then goes on to something rather unexpected. He gives the example of the eunuch. You see, eunuchs, what have eunuchs got to do with? But as an example, he's saying, that, okay, well, what happens if you're not able to have children? So he says the ungodly go wrong. It says their wives are foolish and their children evil. That's not necessary, of course, but he's just saying that they don't necessarily have the best wives or the best children. <laughs> and in fact, if you teach them badly, if you yourself are ungodly and foolish, you're liable to produce a bad family. That's just a reality. For example, well, you know, eunuchs too may not be able to have children, but they still belong to God. And as a curious phrase, says, the special favour we shown to the eunuch for his faithfulness, the place of great delight in the temple of the Lord. Um, it's a curious phrase, you know, to, it might mean, you know, having a, being allowed into the temple of the Lord, the physical temple, but Book of Apocalypse talks about, you know, those who are victors becoming pillars in the temple of the Lord. And of course, she's thinking of the temple of the Jerusalem, which is above the heaven we seek. And there may be an element of that in wisdom too, you know, the real temple of the Lord isn't here, it's not physical. It's something greater than that. So he also gives examples of uh, different ways of failing. Children of adulterers may not come to maturity. The offspring of an unlawful union will perish. It's unfair in the children, but because um, you had to say, well, you know, every human being has a, a place in life. I mean, one bishop had a illegitimate son who he believed went to heaven when he died, and he called him a deodatus given by God. He wasn't a bishop when he had a legitimate son because it was St. Augustine. I think it's very interesting he calls his illegitimate son given by God, which is the truth of all human beings, no matter how they're born or whatever circumstance, they are children of God and a gift of God. But the Book of Wisdom is concentrating one thing. Even if they live long, they will be held of no account, and their old age will be without honour. And if they die young, they'll have no hope and no consolation in the day of the judgment. And he's talking about the unrighteous. The end of an unrighteous generation is grievous. And chapter four, which I'll now have to do next week, says, but better than this is childlessness with virtue. The memory of virtue is immortality because it's known both by God and by mortal men. So next week, we'll move on to chapter four. I've reached it, but I've not done very much, but the two chapters are very connected and should be read together. So then with a brief prayer, prayer for wisdom. That's the smallest prayer you can have, but a good prayer. And pray that we're wise, not just in ourselves, but with each other and for each other. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Ewan, and we really look forward to having you again um, next week. Um, so we'll be looking at chapter four, as you said, of the Book of Wisdom. Okay. And, um, okay. Thank you very much. And we'll, uh, once again, it's always a great pleasure.